back to Rosé Podcast. It's a very exciting month, Mental Health Month. We've been putting it all over our socials and we hope you guys are really excited for the next four weeks of podcasts all based around mental health. Rose, we got a special guest on the podcast today. Do you want to introduce her? We do. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Uh, we're very, very excited to have the wonderful Stella with us from Meraki Mental Health Training. Uh, Stella actually created this company and they just celebrated their first birthday. So we're very, very uh, excited to have her on with us and very uh, glad and um, very thankful. So Stella, thank you so much for being on with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm very, very excited to be part of the conversations, particularly as it's Mental Health Month. Um, Really, really great to kick off um, and to have the whole month of, of Mental Health Month chats, which is awesome. Yeah, we're very excited. Now, um, Stella, we just wanted a little bit of a background for all of our listeners. What uh, do you do with Meraki Mental Health Training? What kind of things do you guys get involved with? Yeah. So first of all, you're probably one of the first people to actually pronounce it right, which is fantastic. (laughs) It must be the Greek thing. Um, How How do people actually say it? Uh, Merakai, Meraki. I, I get I get Merakai a lot. Like it's really really common. Um, yeah. So Meraki started. It's I feel like it's been brewing for years. Um, mm. But I launched. Um, you know, during a pandemic, because why not? So we launched in September last year. So you're right. We celebrated our first birthday um, a few weeks ago, which was really exciting. Um, Basically, what we do is provide quality mental health training. And by that, it's, uh, I mean, training that's already been developed and it's got all the research and evidence backing it. Um, That was a really huge thing that I wanted to differentiate myself between other organizations where you kind of just make a one hour crash course on mental health and then you grab a few stats here and there and then go out and share it with everyone. I didn't want to do that. Um, I did quite a bit of that in my role at Headspace as the community engagement worker there. Um, And I just wanted to make sure that the training that I was offering was, it was actually based in research and evidence and it had been clinically tested so that I could feel secure that what I was educating and training people in was actually proven to make a difference. So um, some of the trainings that we offer are tuning into teens, study without stress. uh, But the main, the core thing of what I do is mental health first aid training. Um, And I'm sure we're going to chat about that quite a bit. Um, But yeah, that's basically what we do at Meraki. And then we've gone out before, I say we, it's just me, but um, (laughs) We have gone out before like to church groups and community groups and I do run like a shorter 45 to 90 minute session about mental health stigma and how we can rewrite the narrative because the one thing that I'm really huge about at Meraki is the fact that you know, there is a stigma that exists around mental health and there's a particular narrative around mental health and it's a narrative that society created. So my kind of thinking was, well, if society created this narrative, society can also rewrite the narrative. Um, and that's really what we strive to do at Meraki. We strive to rewrite the narrative and to normalize conversations about mental health by bringing mental well-being to the table. That's 
so amazing though. <clears throat> I know, I love it. I love everything that it's about. It's amazing. What? Because you've been involved with a lot of community engagement. As you said, you were previously in, yeah. in Headspace and now in Medicare. <clears throat> what was sort of your push to get <clears throat> in the mental health field? Yeah, so there were a few different reasons, but I guess like when I really when I really reflect back, my journey in the mental health space began when I was in year 12 um, and I was volunteering at my local headspace center. And the thing that I guess pushed me to do that was because I had, and particularly around that time, there were three people in my life that um, were struggling with, um, with their mental health. Um, Funnily enough, they were all males. So I also got to see the, I guess, the additional stigma that men have with um, with their mental health. And I think that's what, you know, men's mental health is a, a quite a passion I mean, area yeah, of mine. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, it's very, um, I find men's, men's mental health very um different. Like they don't feel like they, it's, they hide it a lot. They don't really explore it as much. Yeah. Boys don't cry. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So men's mental health became something I was really passionate about. Um, because particularly like in that within those three people um that were really close to me, there was a, a mixture of experiences. So there was um depression, anxiety, psychosis, um there were even like um, suicide attempts and admission to psychiatric wards. So I saw quite a bit at that mm-hmm. stage and I was 16. Um, and I think it just, yeah, it just opened my mind to, you know, not a lot of people know about this. And like, I even think back to my high school days, like I, I clearly remember it now. Um, a friend of mine in year eight, like had depression, was going through depression. Mm. But back then, we had no idea what that was. We were just like, yeah. oh, she's she's so sad and down all the time and, like, kind of don't want to be a friend anymore and all this stuff. Yeah. But it's like looking back, I think there's so much, knowing what I know now, there is so much more I could have done differently. Um, so I think all of those experiences prompted mm-hmm. me to start volunteering at Headspace. And honestly, I, I didn't know what it was going to be like. I was kind of just like... Um, I, I really liked volunteering. So before that, when I was sort of in year nine to year 11, I'd been volunteering for an African um, assister school charity at our school. So I loved volunteering. I loved doing events and things like that. And then the opportunity came up at Headspace and I thought, you know what? Like I've been personally affected by mental ill health. Um, mm. So let's, let's give it a go and see if we can make a difference. And poor, that was like the pivotal moment of my entire life because that then turned into, you know, four year, four and a half years later, I was still volunteering at the center. And then during that time, I also started facilitating mental health workshops with Batir. Um, I was working at the university's counseling service. So I started getting a lot more into the mental health space. And, um, and then it was probably maybe two years ago. It was more so when I actually started working at Batir that I really recognized the power of education and training, but also storytelling in Mm. terms of breaking down the stigma around mental health. Because 
I remember in like one of my, the first training sessions I had at Batir as a facilitator, they, we, we were talking about how stigma can be broken down, right? And how we can actually change the way we talk about mental health. And they kind of divided it into awareness is one part, but then the education and training is another, right? So awareness is like a lifeline ad or um, the Are You Okay Day uh, campaign, right? Which has its place because aware, without awareness, obviously people aren't aware of something so awareness has its place but you know i I was seeing people that were yeah posting something for are you okay day but then the next week turning around to someone that was struggling and calling them psycho and like oh just grow up man up and i'm like that's not a world i want to live in that's not a world i want my friends to live in or my kids to live in or our future generations to live in so that was kind of um really that that turning point where I was like I need to make a difference in this space I need to do something in this space I have a question so you say you started like when you were like 16 you started getting into it Mm. at that age you're like you're very young was it all confronting for you when you first started um look it was confronting because of the lived experience component like I'm not gonna lie it was really confronting going to a psychiatric ward yeah um it was really confronting supporting a friend who was suicidal and you know I would sort of come home at night after seeing them during the day and just thinking will I will I see them tomorrow Mm. um I think that they were really confronting things to deal with when I was 16 um but I think for me what kind of got me out of that was the fact that knowing that suicide number one is preventable is it's one of the most preventable causes of death yeah um but also that mental health problems i don't want to say they're preventable because for some people like it's chemical it's chemical it's biological right but there are things that we can be doing that you know even if you're going to even if it's in your your biology or it's just in your your destiny to experience a mental illness, there are things that you can do so that you don't experience it as badly. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think when I learned all that stuff, it kind of was just like, yeah, like it just it, it makes me really mot- it made me really motivated even from a young age to think that I, as an everyday person who's not a psychologist, who's not a clinician can actually make a difference so if i can make a difference then i can empower other people like me like myself to make a difference as well absolutely it's so amazing and i think one of the the key takeaways that anyone can take from your story is this all started from a choice to volunteer Mm. yeah and you've created something so important and I'll vouch I did my mental health first aid um, in youth for youth with Meraki and I think it was one of the best three-day experiences I've ever had so I really um, say if you are if you haven't uh, in the past been aware of mental health first aid training I highly recommend to get involved in having a look at it especially if you're a company owner I think everyone um, anyone and anyone that's in an institution or a company should get involved and have mental health first aid training because it's so mm-hmm. relevant in our current times um, and we will have 
a uh, little <clears throat> bit of a plug. We'll have Meraki all over our Instagram so you can have a look <laughs> at the company. But um, it's really, it's, a, it's an inspiring uh, story because it's a very hard, you know, I've got experience supporting someone that's been through mental health. Um, I've visited, you know, mental health facilities and wards mm. and that was something very, very normal for me for a long time. Mm. Um, people don't realise the impact it has on those witnessing it too, especially if you're family or, or observing it as an outsider. It's very scary. Yeah. And it's very confronting. Mm-hmm. But it builds a, this, uh, this form of resilience in one's eyes that anyone can get through it. Mm-hmm. And it's possible to do that. Yeah. Um, but I yeah. think it's so amazing, the work that you yeah. do. Yeah. It's so amazing. You. Now, within Meraki, you work with a lot of big institutions, companies, universities in all that like mental health first aid training. What do you think is the main motivator in the push for mental health first aid? Yeah, um, I think in all honesty, as weird as this sounds, I'm slightly grateful for COVID because... Mm. I have never seen as many lifeline ads. I've never seen Are You Okay Day or other initiatives like that being amplified so much. Um, And I think as, as crap as COVID has been, the one thing that it has done is it's brought to light the fact that anyone can struggle with their mental health. Mm. Um, because what we're seeing is people that, let's just say COVID and lockdowns never happened, they might have never experienced a mental health problem in their life. But now because of these external problems, they're starting to struggle, um, which is unfortunate. You know, I don't want people to struggle, but I think it's really brought to light that, oh, wow, mental health is a thing and mm, yeah. it can affect me. You know, that me who has a really good job and a good family and I'm generally happy and I'm healthy. Oh, I can also go through crap times. So I think that's been a really big driver as well, like particularly with organizations, because the one thing I get whenever I run a course and whenever I get people reach out to me, it's always like, I just, I don't know what to do. How do I help somebody? Uh, And given that more people now are struggling more people are not knowing what to do to help those around them and that's what's so great about mental health first aid because mental health first aid was designed to be delivered to the everyday person Mm. um like now like we roll it out i've i've trained youth workers um so people who already have that education and background they might have a counseling background um and the mental health first aid is just for those additional practical skills but the courses that I really, really love are those that are not necessarily looking to upskill in a professional context, but more in like a personal context as mm. well. Um, you know, because you don't need to be a clinician to to make a difference, to, yeah. to save yeah. someone's life. Um, and, you know, one thing that I do tell a lot of companies that I work with, you know, like we don't have psychologists walking around asking every single person, hey, are you okay? And having a little bit of a debrief with them and seeing what's going on. But it, it's us. Like we're walking around talking to our parents, our family members, our friends, our peers, our colleagues. Um, so we are the ones that really have to 
we've got accountability to the people around us. Um, And I think that's people are just starting to recognize a lot more that mental health problems. It's a problem. It's a pandemic. Like, yes, we've got the COVID pandemic, but bloody hell suicide and mental illness has been a pandemic for 10 times as long as COVID has been. But Um, it's only been like really known, like, over the last few years like I feel like it's it was one of those things that was pushed to the side a bit yeah oh 100% I actually um I ran a a workshop yesterday with um a youth organization and the team leader there was telling me that about a few years ago she had no idea about the company's EAP so the employee assistance program and didn't really know about some of the well-being initiatives, but in the last year, like every week, they talk about the EAP and the other well-being initiatives at the company, which still existed years ago, but now there's just more conversation, conversation. going on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is great. So, you know, in all honesty, like that's why it's really weird to say because yeah, it's been a crap time, but like, I I really think if COVID didn't happen. I don't think we would be having these conversations. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I've noticed since COVID, like it's been such a massive thing now. Even like in, it's going to sound strange, but like even in like a TV series, like at the end they'll put mental health things in it, and at the end they'll always put Mm. like the lifeline, the you know the helpline, all of that. Mm. I've noticed that a lot more in on TV and everything as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's great. I my only hope is that these conversations continue once we mm-hmm. go to back to some kind of normal. Um, but it's just honestly, a lot of people when I started were like, "Are you sure you want to like leave your full time job and start a business, delivering trainings during a lockdown?" And I was like. You know what? Yep. Yes, I do. <laughs> it's probably the um, best thing. It's like what what they need now in the lockdown. Yeah. It's the best thing yeah. for it. Oh, a hundred percent. And that's what's been really great as well because the trainings through Mental Health First Aid Australia, they're both um, they're designed to be delivered in person and they're so great face to face, but it's really easily changed online. So the one that um, that Marie did was a the blended. So you do some online modules. And then we do like some group Zoom sessions. And that's just been fantastic because we've been able to reach people all around Australia. Mm. Um, We've been able to support teams where maybe there's an office in Sydney, Melbourne, Perth, Adelaide, and everyone can come together. Like it's, there's been so many great opportunities and so many great conversations. And that's what I love that we still have a very long way to go in the way that we talk about mental health, but at least I've noticed when I've been running courses, a lot more people have actually been sharing their stories about how they're coping or, you know, I'm supporting mm. a colleague and it's been really difficult working from home, but I'm worried about them. Like I'm, I'm seeing a lot more people sharing these stories, yeah. um, which is, which is good. It's, it's a step in the right direction. It's a shame how we had to get there, but, I know. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So, in the last year of having Meraki, would you say, what would you say was a recurring theme in mental health conditions? Like across the board, whenever I do run these programs and, and talk to people, um, 
I feel like experiences of anxiety and depression are really common. Um, and we know statistically, anxiety, depression, and substance use problems, they're our top three um, mental illnesses in Australia. Particularly when we talk about young people, like in our sort of age range. Um, the one thing I have noticed though, which is really interesting, with high school students, like I've been to some high schools where people without going to a therapist or without going to a GP, they're like, oh yeah, like I've got anxiety or oh, I've got depression. Oh, yeah, so yeah. 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 And it's like, whether it's because they're, they've, they actually know the signs of anxiety and depression, they're like, yeah. well, yeah, I'm feeling this, so I must have it. I feel like it's become a bit more of like, there's a bit more recognition around yeah, what those signs like, are. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, whether it's a good or bad thing, because I've, I've, I've heard both sides. I've also heard teachers then saying, like, they'll be speaking to a student about something that they've done, and the student's like, oh, yeah, miss, but, like, my anxiety, uh, or I'm, like, depressed and I couldn't get this done. or So I've, I've heard kind of both sides from young people and from, from teachers. Um, but I think, yeah, like, anxiety and depression is really common, and it's something that even if you don't experience either of those in the form of a disorder, we all experience anxiety or stress. Yeah. Um, Some we sort, all, no matter what it is. You know, we're living in, in a society in Australia where, you know, one out of five people in our society experience a mental health condition. Mm. You know, that's even less for young people. That's It's one out of four. Like, these are statistics that are very relevant in our current society. And as you said, you know, everyone will experience it. Like, half of our population will at least experience a period of mm. mental health. Like, yeah. I was uh, reflecting yesterday. My I had a, a quite a big ankle surgery last year. And it made me think back, like, Zoe was in, involved with it. I went through a depressive episode from it because I couldn't, you know, walk. I couldn't. Mm do anything and it was the first time I felt like I couldn't do something for myself yeah, yeah it made it me really feel it odd. like I felt it off you because I've never ever seen you that down before and like it, mm. it reflected off me like I felt that from you yeah it was really um it sounds odd but small things that people don't realize mm. impact them very deeply and I yeah. think we're missing out on that and mm. I think one of those one thing as a society that we might not be doing correctly and I wanted to get your take on it because you know you experience a lot of people through your work mm-hmm. you, these statistics of mental health conditions do you think that our fast paced lifestyle that we have is creating an environment for these anxieties to grow do you think it's impacting it I'm glad you asked that question because this is often a conversation I have in my head all the time. So it's nice to be able to have it with other people. A hundred percent. Like you know, the way that certain environments are structured in society, you know, the pressure of uni, the pressure of, you know, the high fast paced workplaces um, definitely impacts on on our mental health and I think before I actually even answer that question I think it's important for people and for anyone listening to recognize that yes one in five people will experience a mental health problem or a mental illness in any given year but five in five people have a mental health 
So even Mm. if you don't have a mental illness, you have a mental health. And in the same way that you would diet or eat well or go to the gym or do yoga or do whatever it is for your physical body, your mental health, your brain is a part of your body that also needs to be worked on. And that's something that I think people tend to think when we talk about mental health, it's oh, only people that are struggling or down or anxious need to worry about their mental health. And that is not the case at all because that's the reason why people are starting to go down that spectrum because they think, well, well, they don't even think I need to do something to, for myself to keep myself happy and, um, and mentally well so that when they do start to struggle, they barely have the resources or the tools to be able to bounce back up. And then added on top of that, there's the stigma that, well, you're weak if you experience this. It's a personal failure. So then people don't seek help. They go down even further. And that's why our suicide rates are so high, or one of the reasons why. Um, and I think that's just an important point to, to bring up. Because I remember speaking at a school and it was a group of year eight boys, you know, and at that age, they think they're top of the world. And I, here I am, this this girl in like a pretty dress talking about mental health. And there was one guy at the front that was just, he was not having it. Like he had the, you know, slouched back hand in his pants, like, you know, I don't need to hear this crap kind of a thing. And um, I actually, you know, engaged with him in a discussion. And he said, I don't need to listen to this talk because I don't have mental health. And it's like, I know he was trying to say, I don't, I'm not mentally ill. I don't have an issue. I'm fine. I don't need to listen to this. And um, I got into this good little band with him where I was like, well, do do you have a heart? And he goes, yeah. And I'm like, well, you've got a, you've got a cardiovascular health. I'm like, do you have lungs? He's like, yeah, obviously. I'm like, well, (laughs) you've got, that's your respiratory health, right? And I said to him, do you have a brain? And he goes, yeah, miss, because I have a brain. He was also um, ethnic, so that's why I'm putting on that voice. Um, (laughs) And I was like, well, if you have a brain, you have a mental health. And I think that's – I think people get a little bit like, I don't need to talk about this because I'm not struggling and it's only something I need to worry about when I am struggling. Yeah. Um, And the the problem with that is is that – in our society environmentally brings on these mental health problems Mm. so if people aren't proactively doing things for their mental health they are more likely to spiral down and one of the things that i'm so i'm really passionate about men's mental health but the other side that i'm really really passionate about is actually eating disorders Um, And the reason for that is because I wholeheartedly believe and the research demonstrates like our society breeds eating disorders. Yes. Yes. Like there is literally, if anyone disagrees with me on that, like, I'm sorry, I don't normally say to people you are wrong, but you are wrong if yeah. you disagree with that yeah. um, because we even know and you would have remembered Marie like with within the the youth mental health first aid course we looked at some stats around particularly with young females around dieting culture and the development of eating disorders and you might remember for young girls who diet at extreme levels and think about it how many people diet at extreme levels diet culture is massive 
those yeah. young girls are 18 times more likely to develop an eating disorder. For those that diet at like a moderate level, it's between five to seven times more likely to develop an eating disorder. Wow. Yeah. And it's and we're living. I it's amazing. It's really good that you brought this up. I heard the other day, um, young girl, very young, like thirteen, say, "Oh yeah, my dance teacher tells one of the girls in my class that she's fat." <gasps> These are thirteen-year-olds. And she keeps telling me that I'm skinny and it's good. And I'm like, you have just caused a snowball effect and you don't even know it. And this kid could at 18 be at a different mental state because of that one thing you say. Yeah. And it's so unfortunate that this is still even a conversation we have to have Mm -hmm. because, you know, we're, we should be above this by now. We yeah. should be way and you know, a lot of parents, I think, especially the parents now that their kids are turning into teenagers, which are what, in their late thirties, early mid forties, mm. they should be aware enough of the stigma because mental health began began to grow, would you say late nineties, truly, late nineties, mm. early two thousands. They would have been in their teens to late 20 to 20s they should be able to if they hear this warning signs these are yeah. you know alarm bells and these kids should feel comfortable enough to be able to go to their parent and say my teacher said this because mm. it's just it's such an unfortunate thing that someone in authority is now making this child feel mm. like they're lesser yeah because of the way they look and yeah. it's such a sad thing that it's even still a conversation we have to have at the degree yeah. that we still do yeah you know and it's it's just devastating it really yeah. is it's a conversation we're gonna have to keep having because like in all honesty that the very first well not the very first time maybe like the second time that i reached out um for help and sought therapy for myself when i was like what 17 18 was because of body image issues um and you know even through all the stuff that I was working with with the the psychologist there at Headspace that I saw I think now I've also come to the realization that yes you can put up affirmations on your mirror like you know like the people on instagram make it look pretty you know you're beautiful and wake up and smile and beauty's on the inside and all of that like that's really well and good but it's like okay so i can sit here in my home tell myself i'm beautiful tell myself my body's fine tell myself that body image doesn't matter but as soon as i go on my phone or as soon as i step Mm -hmm. out of my door it is all around us on oh. Instagram, everyone's half naked. Um, celebrities. It's the biggest thing now. It's, the it's, thing. it's horrible, it's crazy. and it's one of those things where I'm like, "This is." You mentioned the word, Aunt Marie, snowball, because people don't realize it's like, oh, it's just one comment. Like I just called her fat, or I just, you know, said this. Mm. Or, you're not, you're not that buff, or you know, you've got no, yeah. no biceps. But it's like people don't realize 
that snowball effect and I think working in this in the field that I do now and seeing that those comments and the society that we're living in is breeding eating disorders which are like I don't know if you've ever what Marie Rose you've learned obviously about eating disorders now but it is horrible Mm. and you know eating disorders carry one of the highest risks of suicide but also death from physical and medical causes like it's not it's not fun it's not a trend that oh like yeah i want to get i've heard people say i wish i could just get anorexia so i could lose weight like yeah people say it's scary it's it's shocking i get baffled i feel baffled whenever i hear someone say that it's just scary that they'll even think um in saying that what do you think like what over your all your experiences what are some tips and tricks that you have found um to be that are best to like boost people's mental health and well-being the things that i recommend are things that have been backed by research and particularly with anxiety a lot of it does come back to basics so looking at your diet and i don't mean diet in the sense of dieting but looking in the sense of actually eating well Mm, um eating and and again i I have to be very careful when i word this because i'm not saying eat fruit and vegetables and don't have any chocolate don't have any cakes nothing like that but having a balance and a healthy relationship with food um back to basics exercising getting some kind of physical activity sleep um I think people tend to sort of roll roll their eyes when you mention those three things but like your brain it all comes down to your brain is part yeah. of your body your brain mm. is sending signals and vice versa um i think it was like 80 percent of one of the chemicals that in your brain that is in charge of making you feel good and happy is created in your gut so if you're yeah. filling up your gut with crappy food it's it's gonna make you feel crap so there's a lot of links um a lot of scientific links between those three basic things of our our food exercise and sleep but then there are other things as well that people can do to boost their their mental health and well-being so connection is a really huge one connecting with friends connecting um with uh the the people in our lives that help us feel supported and make us feel safe and, and well and particularly people that don't judge us that don't judge our experiences so connection's a big one um i always and marie would know this always 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 promote therapy Mm -hmm. um i could i'm gonna try and like cull this a little bit because i could go on for like two billion (laughs) hours about therapy but i think there's a really big stigma around therapy like it's that thing that when you hit rock bottom you go but what I'm trying to shift the conversation of you know in the same way that if you tear a muscle or you break a bone do you just sit there and be like oh let's just wait and see if this this gets better on its own like Mary you had the ankle surgery last Mm. year right imagine if you had just left it would you be better right now no yeah yeah and it probably would have gotten worse right um and i I, we need to start thinking that same way about mental health that okay yeah maybe it's just been two weeks 
one or two weeks where you're feeling a little bit on edge or you're feeling a bit down, but why not go and speak to somebody at that two-week point so you can bounce back up? So it's something that doesn't progress and impact on your life rather than a year later and you increase your risk of developing co-occurring disorders of of self-injury the risk of suicide and you're in a much darker space than what you were a year ago so therapy is incredible and um you know i'm very honest with people when i run courses like me myself i've gone to therapy and i still go to therapy because it's something that um you know there are things that that i need to work on there's things that i need to do to manage my own anxiety um so I can personally attest to how beneficial therapy can be. Um, medication is, is also one that people can use to boost, um, I don't want to say boost your mental health in that sense, but if you're mentally unwell, like you've been diagnosed with a mental illness, medication can help as well. Um, and then there are other like little tips and tricks. So things like relaxation training um, mindfulness and meditation has got such a, a, a good evidence base behind it so using an app like headspace or smiling mind three minutes a day five minutes a day once a week whatever it is um, there's so many little things that we can be doing for our minds where the way i like to think about it is like you don't go to the gym for one day train and then the next day you have your dream body right or you don't you don't go on a on a diet you don't eat and I don't mean diet as in like starving yourself but you don't eat eggs in the morning salad for lunch crackers like a nice beautiful healthy meal during the day and then the next day expect your physical health to be completely changed yeah um so there's a lot of things that we can do I, I like to visualize like a picture of the brain with like two arms holding dumbbells um and it's something like, like you know our, our our brain can be worked on as well there's things that we can be doing so there's some of the things that i recommend going back to basics looking at am i getting enough sleep and enough quality sleep am i eating well am i exercising or doing things for my body um because our physical health and our mental health they're really closely linked and intertwined then also yeah. can i implement some things into my daily or weekly schedule to like like a gym for my for the brain can i do some mindfulness meditation can i do some yoga can i connect with friends can i go and see a therapist journaling um there's so many different strategies and ways that we can start to view our mental health as something that we can work on even in the absence of illness yeah it's so I think this conversation is so important for people to listen to and to get involved in and yeah you know I think it's also something that uh, I think when we're young especially in our age you know mm. we don't want help but also we're the generation that ha has the most access to it. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's so great that even in our generation, our young, because we're still young, mm -hmm. um, 
there's still such an opportunity to make such a big impact on our community around us and people around us and mental health month gives us that platform to be able to do that together Mm. and have that conversation about you know the invisible illness that everyone sort of sometimes masks but Mm. um i think i will wrap it up because um you know we've got so much important information i think it's going to be so good for people to get on to and listen to everything and um from zoe and i we want to thank you very very much for getting involved and coming on the first episode um for mental health month with us because we really wanted to have a base with someone that has experience in this field and is making a big impact so one big thing we want everyone to get involved with uh if you ever are interested in uh looking into mental health training uh mental health first aid Uh, for your workplace, uh, for your social groups. If you have a society that you're a part of, university, please, we will be linking Stella's amazing Medaki mental health training company. We'll be linking uh, her social media platforms and how to get involved. Um, We'll also be linking in our Instagram, the Rosé podcast, all of our big promotions for this month, all of our little tips, tricks, and motivational quotes that we'll be putting up as well as our link to the Spotify to get involved with all of our episodes for this very important month. Thank you so much, Stella, for being on. I learned so much. It was such a great conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you guys and thank you as well. Like it's this is what I mean. Yeah, health professionals and people in the industry are making a difference, but everyday people like you two beautiful ladies can also make a difference as well. So thank you for for creating a platform for us to have these conversations. And I'm sure all of your listeners are gonna be extremely grateful for that. Oh, thank you. We can't we we're just trying to do, you know our little bit in a very important cause so we're yes. so so yes. blessed to have you with us and we're really really grateful thank, thank you guys you. have a good one guys we'll see you next week with see our episode with our good friend Demi.